26 tonight, Job chapter 26 and 27. We're going to try to do three chapters in two weeks, um, ha uh, chapter 26 and then half of 27, because the next three chapters are uh, Job's response to Bildad and then the three. So he gives a three-chapter response here and uh, got, got a little long-winded probably because he got frustrated. And uh, so we'll see some of these different things here. This, this is Job's last speech here that he's going to, last response he gives them, and it's his longest. So after this, Elihu will speak one more time, and then God speaks. So kind of looking forward to get to that because this has been just a back and forth between these. It keeps kind of being the same thing. But we're going to divide this speech of Job into two sections. And uh, we have uh, the denouncing of Bildad here. In this chapter, chapter 26, the dynamic of God, the departure from guile, the doom of evil, the defining of wisdom. That takes us through uh, chapter 28, uh, but we, so we won't get all of those done tonight. But let's read here, starting at verse number 26, uh, verse number 1 of chapter number 26, if you would. But Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? Dead things are formed from under the waters, and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of the throne of his throne, and spreadeth the cloud or his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds, till the day and night come to an end. The pillars of heavens tremble, and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power. By his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens, his hands hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are parts of his way, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Father, I pray you'd help us. These verses here in some uh, out of chapter 27, too, that we would just uh, glean what we can from them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, he starts by denouncing Bildad, who has just spoken, by listing some of the failures in Bildad's speech. And, of course, there are were always some to pick from from these guys because they certainly weren't being a help. But look at verse 2. He says, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that hath no strength? Uh, Bildad did not uh, comfort him, did not give him any, did not strengthen him in his conversation while he was in his weakness. Now, obviously, if we are talking to people that are hurting, if we're talking to people that uh, need strengthening, our job is to strengthen them, to share their yoke, to share their burden. Uh, Galatians tells us to bear ye the, uh, one another's burdens. And so uh, there was a failure in the strengthening. There is a failure in the solution. Look at verse 3. How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? Now this again is sort of a sarcastic statement that says that Bildad did not give any solution to the problem at hand. Of course, neither did the other two friends. And we're already in chapter 26 of Job. In all this time, none of them have been any help 
or comfort or encouragement to him. This is a sad thing uh, that, that uh, there's this much talking and yet there has been nothing offered. Then there is a failure in the sense, in verse number 4, to whom hast thou uttered words? It's so inapplicable what they are so saying that Job basically, he's asking who's Bildad talking to here? Who do you intend to address, Bildad? And the others, by the way. Surely not me, because none of what you say is touching any of my problems or any of my arguments that I've given. Uh, they did a lot of bloviating, but no encouraging, no lifting up, no helping. Then there's a failure in the source. Look at verse 4. Whose spirit came from thee? Asking Bildad the source of his speech is another way of denouncing the speech. He implies that, you know, really what he's saying is, Bildad, you need better sources if you're going to be a help. Where are you getting this from? And uh, by the way, where's our source for encouragement and help? Our source ought to be right here. Uh, when we help others, we lift somebody up, we encourage them. I, it's one of the reasons I love so much. I don't know if you get as much out of it as I do, but those little uh, challenges we get Wednesday nights here from Pastor Forsbeck, I love those little thoughts and those little things. Some of them will just stay with me for a few days. And uh, that encouragement is coming from the Word. And the Word is what should, where it should come from. Job says, where are you getting this from anyway, Bill Dad? And then we see the dynamic of God. He let his three friends know that he is not ignorant of God the way that they have been accusing him of being. They have accused him of having the wrong attitude about him, uh, not recognizing what he is and who he is. So Job, though, is much more versed in spiritual matters than these three friends ever were. In fact, God is going to speak up to that uh, point in Job chapter 42, we'll get to later, uh, that, that Job spoke better about God than the three friends did. Now, this will be a shock to them because when people are busy pontificating, full of their own wisdom, it doesn't even, it doesn't even uh, the, the, the possibility doesn't even enter their mind that they may be way off base. And they were. And they'll find that out from the Lord Himself. Look at the uh, condemnation here. Uh, we see first in chapter uh, verses 5 and 6, he cites three areas here about God's uh, power in judgment and how it is so great no evil can resist it. And uh, he cites three areas where the condemning power of God is seen and experienced. Look at verses 5 and 6. Dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him and destruction hath no covering. Now, the Hebrew translated, the word translated hell here uh, in this text is sheol. It means grave or the place of the dead. The death of the unrepentant sinner will bring an awareness to the power of divine judgment. I take no pleasure in that. None of us should. But you think about once in a while I'll see somebody like when Saddam Hussein was, when he was killed or um, the uh, um, the guy who flew our towers up. My goodness. Thank you. Osama bin Laden. Uh, they're friends, so he knows his name real well. When Osama bin Laden was killed, uh, you, you, uh, you know, I think about the fact of, and, and I don't glory in it. I don't want, not even for him. You don't glory in it for anybody. But the instant their eyes close in death, they're going to realize the 
judgment of God immediately. And so uh, this, that's something that we have to, that should drive us to give the gospel message to those around us. And even those who uh, may be treating us wrongly. When unrepentant sinners die, they discover the wrath of God is no joke. They may have joked about it before, but they won't joke about it then. So he talks about hell. Then he talks about heights in verse number 11. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. So the pillars of heaven are what they call the mountains because they seem to hold up the sky. All right, That's what in, in ancient language when it talks about the pillars of heaven. So here Job is saying that the power of God can shake even those mountains. Anybody seen footage of that kind of stuff? Uh, we see that happen all the time. Earthquakes and volcanoes and, and uh, those things can happen. Men laugh today at the thought that God is in an earthquake or any other natural disasters. I was just talking to Brother Wes about this, I think, yesterday. Um, how we were talking about that Bill Gates, you know, has got this big plan to spray dust into the atmosphere to uh, help cool the earth down a little bit. So, um, and he's, you know, got this billions probably being invested in this to go up and blow dust. And uh, God has to laugh himself silly when he hears that kind of stuff. You really think you're going to control the weather? Uh, and, you know, all he has to do is just have a thought. And, and I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying he glories in it, but we can have a Katrina. We can have the great brooking storm of 2022 anytime that he pleases. Amen. So uh, we better not, we better not laugh at that. Now, look. Then he talks about the haughty. Verse twelve. He smiteth the proud. Uh, it, it smiteth through the proud. It says there at the end of the verse. Uh, the word smiteth here means to split, to crush, to wound. The power of God is able to smash through arrogant behavior. Is able to smash through your arrogant behavior and mine. Some people are so arrogant they literally shake their fist at God. But they'll be helpless when they face Him. And again, not to glory in that. Stephen Fry. If you ever want to see, I think I've even showed that interview on uh, in church here before, uh, who, who talks about, he's obviously an atheist, but was interviewed and it's on YouTube. You can see it. It's, it's, it just gives me the chills when I, when I hear him. Uh, the guy, what happens when you die and you stand before God? And uh, why should God let you into His heaven after the way you've you know, talked against. I wouldn't want to go into his heaven, not on his terms, you know, and he, and he just goes off, he, he really, really goes uh, viciously against God and who he is and mocks him. Um, that will not happen forever. Okay, One day he will stand before God and God's power in condemnation is great. Sinners ought to tremble at the thought of it. And he is able to smite through the proud uh, it is only the grace of God that allows these people to keep breathing as long as they do. Lightning not to strike them, because God is not willing that any should perish. But we ought to keep in mind, Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so again, let us uh, be reminded of that as we talk to other folks. The creation power of God is what we see next. Job cites seven things about creation which show the great power of God. Look at verse number 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, Job spoke correctly about the empty uh, space without stars in the north. This is not an unscientific statement. Observers at the Washington Observatory said that 
uh, have, have confirmed that there is a, an empty space in the north without a single star. Scripture recorded this truth 3,000 years ago plus, or before that. I think it's amazing what the Bible says and then we discover later. It's uh, almost humorous, some of the things that... that uh, and there's a whole long list of them, uh, anesthesia being one of them. When, when, when did they discover anesthesia? Uh, 150 years ago, a little more. God put Adam to sleep to do a surgery before anybody, uh, you know, and it's right in there in the Bible. So we see a lot of these things that we discover that are already in the Bible. Then the, not only space, but the circumstances. Look at verse number 7. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Here's yet another scientific statement. For centuries, mankind thought the earth was held up by something. And, uh, but the Bible says what we know today to be true. The earth uh, is hung in space. There's nothing holding us up. Nothing supports the earth. It's not hung from some hook or on the back of a turtle, which uh, before we chuckle at that thought, in Hindu mythology, the earth is supported by four elephants that stand on the back of a giant turtle. Well, that's not where the earth is being supported by. Uh, the, this is, uh, the, he was correct, and the earth hangeth upon nothing. This is an encouraging lesson here about God and our circumstances. He is bigger than our circumstances. They do not limit God. He hung the earth on nothing, and it's still hanging on nothing. And it's still... Uh, he, he's able to, able to overcome all those things in our life. Now look at verse number 8. The carrier, he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. Job sees the power of God and how we get rain. This is something I, I don't understand still. I remember learning about it in science class and reading about it since. Uh, clouds weigh tons. Yeah, up, up there they hang. Why don't they just crash to the earth? I don't, you know, I'm sure there's scientific explanations. But Job looks at that as the power of God. You got all this water up there, and, and God's able to hold it there, and the clouds are not destroyed. Uh, his power is great in causing the clouds to be the carrier of water for the rain. And, and then he goes on in verse 9, He holdeth back the force of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. Uh, that, that God controls these clouds. Look at verse number 10. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. One of the great, great evidences of God's powers is how He keeps the oceans in check. He has created bounds for the oceans and, and uh, they abide within those limits normally. Unless there's a bad storm, which He sends too. And so, uh, amazingly, God uses a very soft thing to hold the uh, massive bodies of water. Sand, which is movable and soft and pliable and yet he uses that to form the boundary uh, god is controlling uh, those oceans and then there's a calming in verse number 12 he divideth the sea with his power the word divided here divideth comes from a word that means to quiet god can calm the raging storms and the seas and make them peaceful this has always been considered a great act of power Remember that group of fishermen in the New Testament we call the disciples? And Jesus calmed the sea for them. And they wondered exceedingly, the Bible says. Uh, because, I mean, just think how you would feel. You're out on a choppy sea and a guy says a word, hush now, and it just gets still. It's an amazing thing. Well, God controls it. Jesus was able to do that. Matthew 8, Mark 4, Luke chapter 8 as well. Uh, then there's the... 
the clearing in verse 13, by his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. The word spirit means breath, and the word garnished means brightness. So the breath of God can clear the skies and make them bright again. Uh, when clouds are overhead, the skies are dark, right? But when the clouds are gone, it's bright again because the sun can shine through. I remember the first time, you know, I knew this intellectually, but the first time it was, I don't know, over 20 years ago, I was flying from Detroit to Philadelphia and it was a rainy, overcast, nasty, just one of those cold days, dreary. And, and I remember as the plane moved up through the rain and it went above the clouds and the sun was bright as anything and the clouds were all... The, the rain and the nasty day was all below me. The cloud, it, it was beautiful and bright above the clouds. Well, according to what he says here, by the way, do we have the power to remove the clouds? No, not even you, Bill Gates, don't have the power to remove clouds. But God just blows on them, and they are gone. He has a, he has a control of power here. So Job is recognizing the power of God. And then he talks about the concealed power of God, verse number 14. Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? We have a confession here basically about the concealment of God's power. How little a portion is heard of him. He acknowledges we only see so little of his power. God is so great. He is so awesome that no one knows. You know, We can't encapsulate it. We can't, we can't explain to someone how great he is. The word translated little here, how little a portion is heard of him, uh, is a statement that it's, it's a noun and it means a whisper. I think this is neat because uh, it's, it's found only two times in the Old Testament and both times it's translated little. Here it is contrasted to thunder. Here's the way I like to say it. What we know of God's power is only a whisper. And it's actually thunder in comparison. So we know this much of God's power. When it's actually thunder, it's, that's he's trying to bring forth here. Now we move into chapter 27. Now, he calls this a parable. Moreover, Job continued his parable. That simply means a wise saying here. It's a little deeper meaning with when Jesus talks about it, but uh, it's, his, it's wise saying. And he, uh, he talks about dedication here in verse number 2 starting. He's, he's dedicated to departing from evil. Now, the only way you're going to have victory over evil is what? Departing from it. Evil is intensely aggressive. We know that, don't we? You ever tried to get rid of a habit? A bad habit? It's hard to get rid of. It's hard to change. If, uh, you're, you're, if you've got bad character within you, trying to change that is very difficult because evil is very intense. And we have to be equally intense in opposing it and separating from it or you'll be defeated by it. So a passive resolve against sin will never defeat it. Job mentions four things about this dedication. We see first the swearing. As God liveth, verse 2, who hath taken away my judgment and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul. Now this statement has both good and bad in it. The good is, is in using the name of God uh, in his oath here. This isn't profanity. It's the highest oath he could take. But the bad is that God dis, or Job dishonored God by saying that God who taketh away my judgment, vexed my soul. Now, this isn't Job speaking his best. He's, again, 
basically thrusting his will on God. This is the kind of statements that cause Job's friends to criticize him. Again, we need to be careful of things we say or people can use those against us. Sometimes they have some right to, in what they're doing. Uh, number four, verse number four, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter de- deceit. So uh, we not only see his swearing there, but his, his speech in the dedication here. Now this is a good resolve. Few things are as hard to control as the tongue. Turn your Bibles, if you would, over to James. You were there earlier uh, for Pastor Forsberg. We're going to go back over there again. James, right after the book of Hebrews. And uh, look at verse number 3. Chapter number 3. I mean, and verse number 6. James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Whew! Somebody has something against the tongue. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed. It hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. What's the Bible saying there? You can tame a lion. You can tame a whale. But you can't tame your tongue. That's something. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue can get us in trouble. I read this illustration. I got a good chuckle out of it. A man was working at the produce department. He was asked by a lady. She wanted to buy half a head of lettuce. Half a head of lettuce, he said. So he says, that's crazy. He says, I'm going to go get a, a manager. Because she was insistent. He says, I'll go ask a manager. So he marched up to the manager and he says, you won't believe this, but there's a lame-brained idiot of a lady here who wants to know if she can buy a half a head of lettuce. Then he saw the manager's face, one of those faces that says she's right behind you. You ever had that before? So uh, he turned to see the lady that followed him and just quick as a flash he said, and this nice young lady wants to buy the other half. And so uh, later, a little bit later, the manager says, well, I have never seen faster thinking on your feet than that. He says, how in the world did you learn that? And so the young man said, well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. And the manager said, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And uh, quick as a wink, he said, and what hockey team did, you, did she play for? Uh, your tongue can get you in big trouble, you know. And uh, James says the tongue is as dangerous as any fire. Uh, It has a vast potential for evil. It can speak falsehood and filth. It can be smooth as butter or sharp as a knife. It can curse or it can cajole. It can criticize and complain. It can uh, castigate and it can corrupt. All these things... One of the first things a doctor tells you when you go in for a checkup, let me see your tongue, puts that thing on you and checks your mouth out. Well, a spiritual advisor might say the same thing. First thing we ought to look at is the tongue. Uh, Spurgeon said if if our sins, all of our sins of our life were were piled up on two equal piles, one one pile alone would be sins of the mouth. Tongue's an unruly evil, the Bible says. Uh, There is no evil in the heart of man that the tongue cannot promote. Every 
every wickedness within us, the tongue can promote that. In fact, sin entered this world by means of a forked tongue, as Satan uh, in, in the form of the serpent. He has great capacity for evil and limitless power for good. I read this illustration. A Greek philosopher asked his servant to provide the best dish possible. He prepared a dish of tongue. And this is his reason. He said, it is the best of all dishes because with it we may bless and communicate happiness, dispel sorrow, remove despair, cheer the faint-hearted, inspire the discouraged, and say a hundred other things to uplift mankind. Well, the philosopher said, you've got a point. Now, he said, for the next day, he asked his servant to provide the worst dish that he could possibly think of. He brought up another dish of tongue. And he said, it's the worst because with it we may curse and break human hearts, destroy reputations, promote discord and strife, set families, communities, and nations at war with each other. That was a pretty wise servant because he's exactly right. It can be the best thing and it can be the worst thing. You know and you've experienced when you are hurting uh, or you're in, like Job was in desperate need of some encouragement. And if you meet up with a sharp tongue, uh, it can be devastating. Whereas if you meet with a, an encouraging tongue, uh, it can do everything to change it around. So we understand the value of it. Proverbs 21, 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. So watch your tongue. It's in a wet place. It's easy to slip. Okay? We need to be careful of what we say. To resolve to keep from evil speech. That's what Job said. And this is a hard resolve to keep, but he determined to do it. Then he goes on in verse 3, the steadfastness here, and we're, we got to finish up here, but all the while my breath is in me and the Spirit of God in my nostrils till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. I hold fast and will not let it go as long as I live. Uh, for Job, keeping away from evil is a lifelong dedication. And I love the, the words here. This This is... I guess I, I, I picked, you might have been confused here. I was picking some things out. Uh, verse number five. God forbid that I will justify you till I die. I will not remove my integrity from me. And then verse number six is where it says, I hold fast and will not let it go. As, so long as I live, he said, my heart will not reproach me so long as I live. So, uh, sorry, I, I picked a couple of lines out there. Uh, but, but I love the resolve that he has here because this is what it's going to take. It's, uh, it's going to take some steadfastness to watch the tongue. It's going to take steadfastness to depart from evil. Uh, these things are not easily done. So it takes a lifelong dedication. Uh, we've got a lot of big talkers in our churches today. We need some people who are willing to dedicate themselves uh, for the long haul the way that Job was here. And uh, So that's where we'll end tonight. And we'll pick up the rest of chapter 27. Uh, and uh, maybe part of 28 next week. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and we thank you for the example that we